Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. It's Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Kicking off hour number three. The final hour of today's show of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio. It's been a great show today, guys. I've been having fun today. It's been a blast. A yeah. blast. There we go, guys. There we go. Yeah, thank you. Back well, I, since the heat wave has kind of ended, yeah, we're. I'm feeling good. You just got to keep some water on hand, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all, we've all got water here. Yeah, we, we're all staying hydrated because, yes, we need it. It's the name of the game in this desert. Yes. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking to David Roth from Defector, talking a little baseball Talk of man, I mean, it's just been fun, man. It's uh, you know America's pastime. Who doesn't love it? But earlier in the show, in the first hour, we played some sound from head coach Josh McDaniels, and I asked the question: What do you think? Not so much what you hope for the team can improve. What do you think is, let's say, the most realistic aspect of the team that they can improve on in 2023? But one of the things that I think that a lot of people are sleeping on with the Raiders is this 2023 draft class. And Josh McDaniel spoke about that in his interview with Rich Gannon. Yeah. Um, it's the same feeling. You know, we were excited about the guys we were able to acquire, um, you know, and, and we, you know, we went in the, to the draft, you know, trying to, you know, acquire as many tough, smart, mature, explosive players that we could. And those are the words we kept using over again. And that's the kind of football team we want to build. And so um, I think we were able to draft seven captains out of the nine players. So, we wanted to add some guys that, that had some leadership qualities to them that um, that work the way that we want to work, that can fit into our culture and, and go about our day-to-day uh, process here. Uh, we thought we did that. Um, we got some guys that really can learn quickly. Uh, we know how important that is to uh, allowing rookies to play early. I mean, it's it's hard if you, you know, if everything takes, you know, four mistakes before you can correct it and get it right and get them on the field. So, um, we think we did that. Uh, the spring was important for all those guys in different ways. Uh, they took a lot of reps, the guys that were able to be out there on the field uh, doing that. And uh, and we're looking forward to all of them being ready to go at training camp. Uh, they're still working with our strength and conditioning people to really kind of put the finishing touches on being prepared physically to go into an NFL training camp. Um, and, and like I said, we like the group a lot. Uh, looking forward to working with them this year. Something there that he said that uh... – I really liked what he said there, but Jared wanted to. Jared made a face about it. Yeah, yeah not so much as he was agreeing with Coach McDaniel. Said there, seven out of the nine guys that they drafted were captains, and to me that says, hey, these could be some guys who they have those leadership qualities, going to be good in the locker room, maybe even have that maturity to play day one. If that's what you want out of some rookies. You know, you want that development. But if you can have those guys that can play day one, you know, you're already a little bit ahead of the curve there, Jared. Why? Why didn't you like the uh, stat that he threw out of? Seven guy, you know, seven of the nine guys they drafted were captains. Well, I wouldn't say that I didn't like it. I just was more like, oh, okay, that's uh, that that gives me some shades of um, when I've heard in previous drafts character guys, and you know, like, hey, this person was a finalist for this award. I'm of a f- firm belief that when it comes to drafting. We won't find anything out about these guys until the first time that they play an actual NFL game. I'm not counting the preseason. Maybe it's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it is 100 percent that you know these guys were leaders in college and now they'll be you know they'll step up once they hit pros. But to me, the miles of distance between a 22 year old and a 25 year old is the moon. 
So I, I don't I don't I don't know if that that stat necessarily means as much to me as it does to Coach McDaniel's. I think it comes down to when you're drafting players, especially let's say for the Raiders, the members of the Raider Nation who are who were severely disappointed in previous draft picks that didn't pan out. I do think that hey man, this guy that was a team captain, I'd say at this position, because it's not it's not just quarterback, because we all expect hey if you were you know your college quarterback you're starting probably going to be the team captain. We all expect that, but for me it is some of those guys where. Let's say Jacorian Bennett, if he is one of those players where, hey, Jacorian Bennett was a team captain at corner rather than Damon Arnett had, a, had some character issues and he wasn't even the best corner on his team. Or I do think that when it, when it comes to this regime and how they're drafting him and Dave Ziegler, where those are the things where maybe that guy's, you know, this, this number on your board and this is the guy right after him, what separates these guys? I do think that it is those character things. You mentioned character issues for players. Something that says, hey, that his teammates trust this guy, the coaches around him trust him. I do think that bringing in high-character guys for this team is going to be important for building up the program that they want to see here with the Las Vegas Raiders because it's all about program building. That's why so many people, it's, hey, is Josh McDaniels on the hot seat? No, not at all because coach, excuse me, owner Mark Davis, he is, I think, giving him not carte blanche, but he has the patience. He sees what's going. He sees the vision. I think that he sees the Mick Ziegler vision that they're putting together, and that's going to take some time. That's it's. Then I know that no one wants to hear that, but it is the time that it's going to take for this team to gel and get the players that they want in to build in the program that they want. What did I say? That was so funny. Oh no! I just when you said Mick Ziegler, I genuinely thought of like a hot chicken strip from McDonald's. Okay. Try the new Mick Ziegler. <laughs> Maybe they're onto something. They could get a partnership with somebody in town. Uh, hey, it wouldn't be the worst idea. The Mick Ziggler. Yeah, where, yeah, you know, wherever wherever you get your, yeah, <laughs> McDonald's. Hit us up. Only a local product, only in Vegas. So, I again, I, I think you're spot on with the idea of program building. And when you look at teams, every year in the NFL, there's one team that goes worst to first or, you know, opposite, you know, everyone hyped them up because they made the playoffs and then the next year they're a dumpster fire. But if you look at the teams that are perennially successful, it's because they're always building. If you look, and this is a different type of example, but if you look at teams that are ready to move on from like their quarterback and tr- but try to maintain their success, they typically get that guy a year early. Even though it's like, hey, you have a perfectly functional team here. They're trying to keep building as they're going because that's that's the program of it. And that's I think you you make a really solid point there. My biggest thing is I don't know I I would rather the mentality of what can this guy do versus did his teammates vote him to be captain. Well, obviously you look at the talent, you that that's what you're looking at first is the talent, but what can this guy never met? You know, because it's one of those things that's not saying it's chicken or the egg, but not every guy that you look for in the draft is going to just be a stud. When it comes to that guy that you're drafting in the third, the fourth, those middle rounds, if those guys just had the talent that was blowing you off the screen, you know, blowing everybody away where they're a no doubt, hey, this guy is going to be a 10-year pro. Wouldn't be, be, he yeah. wouldn't be available yeah, in the third exactly, round. Yeah. Yeah. So there's got to be some things that you're look, looking at besides the talent when you are drafting in those later rounds. 
Because if that was the case, why isn't that guy just a first rounder then? If he's if his talent is jumping off the screen, like I said, so evidently, he wouldn't be here right now. Well, and it's, to me, it's always about talent versus polish. Like if you you can have the raw talent, but if the guy you know needs to be polished, that's the th- difference between a first, second round versus a third and fourth round type guy. Where once you hit the seventh round, you're kind of just going, is is he fast? I hope he's fast. Yeah, you're going off those measurables that maybe you saw in the combine. But for me, I like what he said there about just having those guys, you know, seven of the nine guys being team captains. Not so much that it means a lot to me, but I, I see where their head's at. When pe- when they say, hey, this is our draft process, a little nugget like that, and, and he mentions it in his interview with Rich Gannon. So obviously it's something that stands out to them as, you know, a coaching staff and a front office where the guys that they're looking to draft. I think that that was like a sneaky little thing where – we have more insight on how they view the players because we all know offensively and defensively with this team, you got to know the playbook. You got to know, you got to be, and I'm not saying a whiz kid, but you've got to know that playbook. You've got to put in that homework equally as much in the classroom side of things as much as on the field. And that, so for me, that the key of just getting their guys, I think that just a quote like that, I'm saying, all right, McDaniels, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I see it a little bit more now than I did just say, let's say his introductory press conference. I see it a little bit more now. And those are the things that maybe not this year that takes this team from, oh, man, they were right there to now. It's it's still going to be a process. But I know that they, they have those building blocks in with those players. If you want to give us your thoughts on any other sound that we've played from Coach Josh McDaniels, you can give us a call at 702 702- 365-9200, or you can hit us up on the don'tbebroke.com text line 69187, keyword R-N-R. But something I did want to talk about today, because we're going to be talking to David Roth a little bit about baseball. And I sent, you know, I teased this at the end of the last hour, is that I just sent over to the guys, hey, play this game. The game is called Immaculate Grid. And it's a game where you, you, it's a game of squares. Think about you have your tic-tac-toe board set up, and it's just, you know, corresponding columns, and you've got to fit the player into where they, if they, if they fit the description for the grid. Let's say today there was a grid of White Sox, across, and also Brewers. So who can you think of someone that's played for the White Sox and the Brewers? And I love this game so much. I do, like, I'll be honest, I was listening to the Levitar show and they were talking about it, and I was like, man, that game sounds pretty fun. Started playing it, I was like, I want this game for every sport. I mean, this would be so much fun as a football game, as an NBA game. I think an NBA one, I'd really, I'd really clean up. NBA would be my wheelhouse. NBA, you could also have a lot of fun with, like, who can go with the most obscure guy who played for both the Cavaliers and the, you know, oh, no, and the oh, Timberwolves. No, I, Danny, I think Jerry just exposed himself. You didn't play the game, did you? What do you mean? Did you play? Did you play Immaculate Grid? I thought I did. You thought you did. Well, it tells you. It gives you a percentage of the player, and you know the percentage of people who also guess that player. So yeah. you can see that hey, only f- one of the players that I put um, for the Dodgers and White Sox was Paul Canerco. Only five. Pe- only five percent of people thought. Oh, okay, also Paul Canerco. That's, you know, they were thinking that as well. 
Okay, so I just looked at the tweet and just, like, did it in my head. I did not actually go to the website, so I'm going to go ahead and turn my own mic off. See, the the required homework, Jared, I don't ask for much. Before the, I said, just play this game. Just play this game. I think it's fun. I we thought can... I did. I thought I looked at the squares and I was like, okay, uh, you know, Nolan Ryan would probably be there. Uh, I mean, I guess mentally playing the game is still playing the game. How many times do you mentally respond to a text? All the time. Oh, I'm, the, I'm the worst. I'm the worst in the business at just mentally responding to text. Sometimes That's guests probably te- not good as a producer. No, sometimes guests, they'll text me and they'll be like, hey, are we still doing this? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I text you. You text me. Yeah. I didn't know. I, yeah, no, no. I'm the worst at texting back. And just like in my head, like, oh, someone so responded. Sweet. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. No, but not responded. But as Jared, who just exposed himself for not playing the game, Danny, <laughs> when you get like that percentage of, hey, man, this many people also had that. What was your most, I'll just say, what was your most random selection today? So one that I felt very proud of because – 0.5% of people selected this player who played for the Dodgers and also played for the Chicago White Sox. Kenny Lofton. Boom. See, these these are the things that we're talking about. What Would you be better at an NFL version of Immaculate Grid? I think it depends on the position. Well, I mean, it's just, like, let's say if it was... um. I don't know, over 200 passing touchdowns, you know, like, I don't think position. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it, it would, like, if you do defensive tackles. Oh, yeah, okay, if they also do you said you know receiver. a lot of defensive tackles? Yeah. so if it was like a square that's had defensive tackle, also yeah. played for the Raiders and. Exactly. Yeah. Position would be a little bit harder, yeah. Like, tight ends. How much history do you know about tight ends with stats? Like today's today's game, part of it was three thousand strikeouts in their career, and you get the Lake, uh, you get the Dodgers, the Yankees, and a Hall of Famer. You can't duplicate, so mm-hmm. you got to come up with three different pitchers with three thousand strikeouts. Now, could you do tight ends with twelve hundred catches? Probably, because yeah. I mean the top five stick out over everybody yeah. else. But it just it's crazy that like playing this game, it's such a great like history lesson as well as part of the game. It's so much fun. I'm yeah. gonna start doing this every day. Yeah, it's it's like biting from Wordle a little bit, but I never really didn't play Wordle. Yeah, Wordle seemed words, boring. Words don't interest me as much as sports do, obviously. Look at the field that I'm in. But Jared, do you think that if this was the NFL version of Immaculate Grid, would you be like, Oh man, I'm on top of this? Yeah, and also I think that this could easily be a a with the NFL version at the very least because baseball is all over the place because I mean baseball obviously had different eras but there's some of us that like tapped out at the end of the steroid era and then there's some uh-huh. people who like kept on trucking through and then there's some people that's like nah the the best time was when Pete Rose used to slap butt his way through the bases like there's all those different levels of baseball where football is very much like. As soon as you say, you know, had a X many thousand yard season or this many touchdowns, you just basically are like, all right, well, then we're only doing players from like 1999 and onward. Yes, that's 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 exactly how I feel about football as well, where you'll be able to get the stats a little bit better. Or let's say for baseball, it was, you know, 3,000 3, strikeouts. If it was however many touchdowns that, a, you know, 
I, I can't think. I can't think of like who's the all-time. Was it? Is it? No, it's obviously Tom Brady at this point now. But it's five hundred and something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's so, so yeah, that list. Was, it, that <laughs> so yeah. But so if it was like 300, 300 passing touchdowns, you know who you're thinking of in your mind, where it's at, at least three hundred passing touchdowns. But it's like also three hundred passing touchdowns and played for this team. Yeah. So I feel like football would be easier to narrow it down because with baseball, what you've Dolphins got, player threw a ton of touchdowns? Exactly. Let's see. Could it be Dan Marino? <laughs> Because with baseball, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the tweet. It's one of my favorite tweets where it's the Angels lose the game even though Mike Trout and Shohei Otani combine to do something that hasn't been done since Tuskegee Armsman, just an incredibly made-up name. That happens all the time. Yes, yes. exactly. But with baseball, you, I feel like you could be looking at the Immaculate Grid and say, is this Tuskegee Armsman? Because their history just goes back where, oh, man, yeah, that guy in 1920 – yeah, he had a twenty strikeout game. Yeah, that no one's ever heard of. There, there's also like that dude who's like, yeah, in eighteen ninety four, he stole seven thousand bases. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, he would just turn from first and take second, and people were confused. <laughs> Jared, how much would you love it if this game was for football season and punters were a category? See, I, I'm a big punter believer, but at the same time, punting has. I don't even think we actually like measured punting for like for the first couple of years the guy who was punting was also like the backup quarterback and the long snapper sometimes he was the starting quarterback yeah exactly so there's also that thing of did did anyone measure that i think they still had they still had link there i mean you know the distance of the punt like you can still you can go back and find like know. some they red guy st- punts you know right is on average well yeah but wasn't ray guy like the, the 70s Yes. Or the 60s? Yeah, find a punter from the 40s who only okay. played for the NFL or the AFL. Or my personal favorite, <laughs> um, and I can't remember whose book I read. It might have been my Night Train Lanes that I read where he was just talking about how the fact that uh, sacks are like, oh, I probably had multiple seasons where I had 40 sacks, but we didn't call them sacks. So no one knows what they were. And it was just like, did did the NFL just sort of like, Hey, we should probably keep track of how many times the quarterback gets hit in like the 60th year of their existence. Yeah, I think I think sacks started like early 80s or late 70s. I was gonna say no, that's exactly what happened with sacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you say it's like no, 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 no. That's what happened. <laughs> you said, hey, let's get a let's get an actual name for this, and uh, we'll see we'll, we'll see we'll see where it goes. Also. If you were listening to the first hour of the show with Dave Sheriff and LSU in Florida, now underway, bottom of the first, I'm locked in on this one. Men's College World Series. Okay, well back to back to professional real quick. What yeah. was the what was the pick that you did for this game that you were the most happy about? Ooh. I wanna say, yeah, I'm gonna go Paul Canerco. Because that's, like, still in my memory of, oh, yeah, I know this as a baseball player. What was the percentage? Uh, 5%. Okay, I yeah. also had a 5%. er Oh, no, I'm sorry. I had a 3%er in Robin Ventura. Ooh, that's, wow. that's another Played player. for the Yankees and the White Sox. I was also surprised, like, Hall of Fame with the Brewers. Hank Aaron, not enough people. Oh, I left the whole Brewer section empty. <laughs> I don't know Milwaukee stats or Milwaukee history. Yeah, not enough people like Hammer and Hank. Come on, guys. Juan Uribe was the one that I saw on Twitter that I was genuinely like, 
Wow, that's a good pull. That's a good pull. Good pull. Yeah. Good pull. Especially someone like me who my baseball knowledge is basically late 90s to 2011. Yeah. So I'm really just pulling rabbits out when I see this game. I'm... I don't know. I'm I'm looking at like other people's grids now, and I'm going like, okay, okay. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of these. Zach Grinky, you you remember when Zach Grinky was on the Brewers? Yes, I do actually. That was okay. like a little half a season stretch there. It was a like midseason trade. I don't really think it worked out. Didn't pan out too well. I think that's genuinely the story of Zach Grinky's career. Is midseason trade didn't really work out there. Yeah, man. But see. Audience, I hope that you are listening to us thinking, I've got to try this now. You know, it's daily, so you can just get on, start your day with it. I hope that I have intrigued you a little bit to play a game that, over the weekend, didn't know it existed. But with my newfound passion for baseball, after playing MVP Baseball 2005 over the weekend, I mean, I am all in on the baseball train. It is that slow season, as people like to say, just on the sports calendar where there's basically nothing but baseball and golf tournaments. WNBA. WNBA, you're right. The Aces, they have a game today, actually. Yes, they do. And you can hear that on our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas. Love the professional voice that you put on there. (laughs) Thank you so much. We also have Canadian football. Danny has Canadian football. Yeah, I mean, maybe it'll be a little bit more interesting. You know, like Emery said, maybe I could put a little money on it, put $5 down on the – Rough Riders, that's a name, right? Yeah. Boom, look at that. CFO expert over here. Yeah. But if I recall correctly, the uh, it's a lot of horse teams. Or maybe it's not even that. I think there's only like six teams in the league. You got, uh, I believe it's the Calgary Stampede. Yep. Or Stampeders. Then the Rough Riders. And then... Uh, Argonauts. The, well, the Ar- yeah, Argonauts. Technically, I think that's a Greek... What's an Argonaut? That's that, that's a discussion for another day. Literally. <laughs> and then, uh, if you know what an Argonaut is, t- you got, text it. You got the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think it's Tiger Cats. So it's, that's like a wolf dog. It's weird though because their name is hyphenated. It's Tiger hyphen Cats. Oh, they couldn't decide. I get it. I mean, a tiger is a cat. Yeah, but a Tiger a... Cat sounds so much cooler. He's a Tiger Cat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Any team named the Tigers changes the Tiger Cats. Like LSU is playing right now. Uh, they're the Bayou Bengals. We're not going to call them the Tiger Cats. Am I – not to get too into the weeds on this. Where, where are these Tigers in Louisiana? Non-existent. Okay. Fair enough. Gators yeah. was already taken. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So. Yeah, but they could have been – Somebody hit a home run? They're all very excited. Florida hit a home run. Yeah, they did. Let's go, Gators. <laughs> let's go, Gators. Yeah, let's just go ahead and get out of this. Immaculate Grit, check it out. When we come back, we're going to be talking to David Roth from Defector. Don't go anywhere. This is Unnecessary Reference on Radio Nation Radio 920. Remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. And we're back here on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Heroes and legends. And joining us now is a hero and a legend, David Roth from Defector.com. How you doing? 
I'm good, man. It's not the sort of intro I get very often. I got to be honest with you. Oh, nothing Usually, but a... Joining us now because our scheduled guest uh, has fallen terribly ill is David Ross from Defector.com. That's my usual intro. Oh, nothing but illustrious guest here. When you're joining with Damon Cotton, I'm going to hype you up. I appreciate it. It makes me feel good. Uh, I was Jared was telling me right before we came on that you all just did an immaculate grid on the radio. Oh yeah. Oh, it's it's take it's sweeping the country by storm. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's completely rewired my late nights. Whatever, I you know, make a lot of bad decisions later today. But just knowing that one of those is waiting for me, that I'm going to wind up thinking about Dan Pasqua at you know, 12.07 a.m. completely. I wouldn't say it's changed things. It's just sort of turned back the clock. Like I'm just like living um, exactly as stupidly as I was like 15 years ago now. Just in a much more wholesome way, because I'm like typing Jim Tomey's name into a little box. Oh, man. Oh, Jim out Tomey would have been good. Yeah, this is yeah. like that perfect, that perfect dose of, you know, member berries. Remember him? Yeah. Remember him? Yeah. yeah. So who did you have on your grid today? A, it's fun. So I'm trying to think. The I, I did a I do a couple of them. I oh. do one in an incognito window because I have I like to play a little game with myself to see if I can get like guys that don't have pictures on the thing, like just really <laughs> obscure dudes. This is it, again whatever. No one's listening to me, right? Like we're not on the air or anything. I can be honest. <laughs> but yeah, yeah so I like to get guys under one percent. Uh, in terms of the people that are named, and then if I can get a no picture on there, then that's great. But what that basically means is that I'm um, sort of sitting there with what I assume is a really stupid look on my face, trying to remember like all the teams that David Weathers pitched for, and that's not like what I should be doing. Like I should be going to bed. But the uh, I, so I'm trying to think of so this week. Did today's was the White Sox Dodgers was a weird one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, was the upper left. I had. Uh, Juan Uribe on those, and Scott Podsednik on some others, but there's some weirder guys. I have a friend that uh, got Kelly Wunsch in there, who's like a situational lefty reliever type. But there's a lot of overlap between those teams. And Tomei was a guy that played for both of those teams, too. Uh, but just like during that sort of end of his career, you know, one season with every team for five years sort of stint. Yeah, Paul Canerco was my guy in that spot there. But Tomei, that was a good one. Man, I don't know why I didn't think of Tomei. Well, it's like you think of this is what's kind of fun about, you know, in, if you have the sort of brain that enjoys this kind of thing, that's what I should say. It's like for a normal person, they'd be like, no, why would I do this? I'm going to go work on my car. But if you have the sort of brain damage necessary to like really get into Immaculate Grid, it's a great way to um, sort of remember the like the guys that spend a lot of time changing teams at the end of their careers, like Matt Lawton and Kenny Lofton are like really like. <laughs> They were great players that I enjoyed watching, but Kenny Lofton is like the skeleton key to Immaculate Grid because he played for two teams a year for like the last <laughs> eight seasons of his career, and he was pretty good all the way through. So, David, you can't see it, but as soon as you said Kenny Lofton, I was fist pumping because I got him for my Dodgers and White Sox grid. Yeah, which is also like I don't remember him playing for either of those teams, <laughs> right? Like maybe the White Sox, but if you're like if you're caught. Like it's a good guess. Like you're gonna, you could do a lot worse than that. Which is kind of, I'm trying to think of who the other guys that like have that. Matt Stairs moved around a lot. It's a lot of you know, sort of like that uh, late aughts dudes where they were just sort of beginning to understand Moneyball. But it was the, the way that that was playing out was basically good teams would try to acquire a 37 year old in you know August and hope for the best. So you said that you you did a couple of them using the incognito tab. What was the one that you're most happy about? So 
this is well. Uh, I'll give you the embarrassing answer. So Yankees White Sox is uh, the middle one, right? Yes. So I had for that one a guy named Dan Pasqua, who is not memorable, really. He played for the Yankees and the White Sox when I was young, and he's from nearish to where I grew up in New Jersey. He's from Yonkers, but he played uh, his college ball in Jersey. The reason that I remember him, not just that he was like kind of a marginal Yankees guy when they were bad, but when I was a kid, there was a news story that was like, it's one of the first news stories that I really remember paying attention to. That there was a guy in Bergen County, New Jersey, where I grew up, who was scamming people, uh, including like middle-aged women, by claiming to be Dan Pasqua, and then getting them to buy him stuff. And he got a woman in like Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, to buy him a Pontiac Fiero. And then, <laughs> this was like, and I remember. So this is all off the top. Like I remember that it was a Fiero. I remember that was like a big deal. Because I remember asking my dad, like, is that an expensive car? And he's like, well, you know, it's not the most expensive, but it's like, you definitely, you shouldn't scam somebody into buying you a car. But so there was a whole story where, like, the law enforcement after him, it was like a joint, you know, I think, like, the FBI was involved because it was, like, New York and New Jersey uh, was involved in it jurisdictionally. So it was, like, a brief, weird news story of my youth centered around a guy who was, like, mostly just the other half of a platoon with Ken Phelps. But for whatever reason, he's in my mind forever because of the Pontiac Fiero scam. And what was the percentage on him? It was like zero point four percent. Like it was—he didn't have a picture. Like it was definitely like if we're talking about embarrassing fist pumps. Like I definitely hit the Tiger Woods on that one. Like I was pleased with myself for that. Again, we're talking to David Roth from Defector. You can follow him on Twitter at David underscore J underscore Roth. So I've got to ask, one of the things I've been waiting waiting to talk to you about, baseball. Is baseball fun again? I mean, there are so many storylines in this season. I don't know if it's translating to more viewers, but has this been one of the more fun baseball seasons recently? So what I should tell you, first off, is that I'm a Mets fan. So uh, Mm. for me, no. If you want to take the global perspective, absolutely yes. Like, I saw today that attendance at stadiums is up, like, 8%, which is really, that's, like, something that's been going down and down and down for, like, a decade. I think that it's cool in the sense that there are a lot of teams that have sort of jumped up out of nowhere and been, like, I'm thinking of the Cincinnati Reds right now, where, I mean, it's been a long time since the Reds were a team worth caring about. And that's a, I mean, it's a great baseball town, but also they just have a lot of cool players. So if you're in the situation that I am in, where you need to take a good, long, hard look at yourself and wonder whether you want to spend the next three months of your life watching Mets baseball, like, it's fun to have other teams to choose from. Like, if you have the opportunity to watch Ellie De La Cruz, like, I'm going to do that instead of watching, you know, Carlos Carrasco throw 105 pitches over four innings. You know, like, that's just, it's cool to have that out there. The thing that I sort of wonder about as this season goes on is, like, whether the the underachieving high payroll teams, relatively underachieving in the case of, like, and the Dodgers are still awfully good and stuff, but, like, whether the Padres or the Mets sort of straighten it out, I think that it's going to be, probably more fun if they don't, you know, if we get a bunch of new playoff teams and a bunch of sort of young stars announcing themselves, uh, you know, in October, but there's a lot of baseball left to play. This is me sort of, uh, coping (laughs) with how bad the Mets have been, but also like, I think that there's like 
for the first few months of a season, this is as fun as I can remember it seeming. Like, there's more surprises than I'm definitely used to this part of the year. Taking it back to Ellie Dela Cruz, have we seen anything like this in baseball before? I know it's only been 17 games, but I'm already saying seen anything like this because at six foot five, I'm guessing around 200 pounds. I'm just like he's just so big, so fast, and he's actually a good hitter too. I know it's a small sample size, but can you think of a player that's made a splash on the scene this fast? No. I mean, not really. Like, I think O'Neill Cruz had some moments when he got called up uh, where he's another guy who's a, a super big shortstop with, like, really crazy tools. He, uh, you know, was sort of starting to figure things out. He's out for the season. Uh, but that's another thing where you're seeing something that you, like, in the same way that, like, watching LeBron can be kind of, uh, even after, you know, whatever, 18 years of doing it, Seeing somebody that size do that stuff just doesn't compute, even if you've seen it that many times. Like, to see somebody in Carl Malone's body doing Michael Jordan things is crazy. To see somebody Ellie Dela Cruz's size, I mean, that's, like, not totally different than Alex Rodriguez, but he's so, like, the tools are so different. Like, he's so fast. He hits the ball so hard that there's a lot of stuff there that is, it just all feels like it's, like, 10% more extra than you're used to. And that is the bit of it that, like, I think is really neat to me. He's got the thing that Ichiro had it. I mean, much lesser talent, but Billy Hamilton sort of had it, mm-hmm. where a ball that you, if you've watched a lot of baseball, like a decently soft grounder to the left side of the infield is not a gimme with him because of how fast he is and how hard he runs. And that sort of thing, like that little bit of extra unexpected uncertainty in a game is like, it's like nothing else. Like, and because when you are getting exactly what you expect, baseball can still be kind of fun. But it's fun as like you know background noise while you drink a beer on a hot day. Like in this case, where you never know what's going to happen as soon as the ball's put in play. Like that feels new, and I think that's great. <laughs> I want to move it over to the Miami Marlins because they have my favorite player, Jazz Chisholm, but they seem to be doing just fine without him. Luis Arias, if he hits for four hundred, how special would that be? I mean, I honestly can't imagine it, although it's like to see how good he's been, you can't rule it out. Like, that approach uh, is so antique. Like, it's not a way that I've seen somebody hit in many, many years. Like, just in terms of, because he doesn't even hit the ball that hard. He just, like, he never misses a ball that he swings at. And he seems to have this ability to just sort of place moderately paced ground balls and line drives in different spots. I think if he hits 400, he's got to be the MVP. Like, it's just, we know how hard it is, baseball-wise. The strange part about it is that the, the people that have come close in my lifetime, I mean, the ones that have come closest are, like, I guess George Brett, Tony Gwynn, and Larry Walker. And all of those guys were very, I mean, they were different types of hitters from each other. They were all also very different types of hitters from Luis Reyes. Like, he's going to, you know, slug 410 or something this year. I mean, he's just going to have a normal middle infielder's slugging percentage and probably on-base percentage. But he has this one tool that is so unique and so unparalleled in like, what he's been able to do with it. Like, it goes back, it's the same thing that I was just saying with De La Cruz, except for it's kind of the opposite, because Arias is kind of just like a dumpy guy who's really good mm-hmm. at hitting, whereas De La Cruz is this like volcanic athlete. But anytime you're seeing something and it feels like you're seeing it for the first time, that uh, like it's worth seeking out. I definitely like flip over to watches at bats when I can do it, and 
I don't really have a whole lot, you know, riding on the Marlins one way or the other, but, like, I don't want to miss anything. If the guy really hits 400, I want as much of that as I can get. Again, we're talking to David Roth from Defector, and you can follow him on Twitter at David underscore J underscore Roth. The Los Angeles Angels, are they really going to trade the most generational baseball player we've seen in our lifetime? I mean, I can't imagine them doing it. It is also the sort of thing, though, where they still kind of feel like the Angels, right? I mean, like he's doing, you know, everything that he can do. I mean, this is still, even after last year, feels like Pico Tani. And they just, there's something about that organization that can somehow resist even the force of this, like, literal reincarnation of Babe Ruth, that they can still manage to go 80 and 82 (laughs) with him having, you know, seasons that no one's ever had in 100 years. I can't imagine that they could trade him. It feels like maybe this is a failure of imagination on my part. I can't imagine, even for, you know, half a season, uh, that they would get anything back uh, that would be, you know, commensurate or that, like, their fans would be willing to accept. You know, if it's the sort of thing where you look at what the Nats got back for Juan Soto, that's for one and a half seasons of Juan Soto. And they got some good prospects from a pretty lousy system, uh, from the Padres, and I don't think that anyone would tell you that that deal was like good for the Nationals. <laughs> you know that like if the Angels, who you know have not been one of your industry leading organizations uh, in the entire time that they've been owned by Artie Moreno, like if you got back three of the top, you know, eight prospects from some team for Shohei Otani. The best case scenario for any of those guys is that they wind up half as valuable as Otani, and I feel like the signal it would send to fans, even if they keep him through the year, they miss the playoffs, and he goes and he signs somewhere else. I have to believe that, like in the long run, trading him would be the sort of thing that people would never forgive them for. I just don't, you know, I don't know what Angels fans at this point have already had a lot of unforgivable stuff handed to them by this ownership group, so it might be that they just decide that you know, what's one more thing. But, yeah, it, it feels different, right? I mean, just because it's like you get one Otani in a lifetime, in a series of lifetimes, like the idea of trading it, it just feels, you know, for any reason, even the practical stuff aside, like you just are going to lose that deal no matter what. David, uh, my dad and I have been trying to come up with a name for this pre- specific relief pitcher, like who basically he goes in with two outs and the base is loaded, lets all those runs score and then gets the final out. Is there like a proper term for a guy like that around <laughs> these parts that we call that one the joe borowski but there's plenty of <laughs> there's a lot of historical precedent for that type of dude um i'm trying to think i mean it's like teams all have guys like that and it's it's tough because if you catch them really pitchers it's so volatile like it's you know they have these tiny sample sizes and they're always you know like you said coming into these situations where one little mistake winds up you know compounding terribly and hurting the team. But there's guys where, you know, people that have had very good careers that I will never forgive because I watched them do that three times in a week with the Mets and then get released. And it's, so I have a very unrealistic, uh, understanding of like what Scott Atchison's career was actually like. I think if you look at it, he did a great job. If you ask me, he belongs in the Hague and it's like, that's completely unfair to him. It's just, it's just how that shook out from one experience to the next. I don't want to rub salt in the wound here, but how are the Tampa Bay Rays 
doing what they're doing this season. One of the lowest payrolls in baseball, but then you also see the Mets where they threw so much money this offseason and it seems that nothing has worked out. Is baseball the most random sport of them all? It's random, but it's not It's not entirely random here. And I don't want to get too deep on the Mets thing, but this is I've been writing about this, and I have a story coming out on it tomorrow, so I, I'll give you the thumbnail version of it. I think that what the Rays figured out how to do, and it's, it's a very, very difficult thing, but it's something that all the good teams do, including teams like the Dodgers that spend a lot of money, but teams like the Rays and the Orioles that don't, they know how to fix players that are broken, and they also have this unique ability to take a player that has nothing that works except for one tool that is outstanding, and then they can remake a player basically around that to their best advantage. That is, you know, it's sort of a scouting thing, but what it mostly is is just it's coaching. It's like the most old-fashioned baseball stuff that there is. And it's powered by technology and, the, you know, the high-speed cameras and all that stuff. And, you know, so everybody that's involved still gets to feel like, you know, that Silicon Valley feeling when they're doing it. But basically, the teams that are good, and this is, this is the random part, I think, because it is a very random sport. But the teams that are good are capable of making their players better and of fixing players that are broken. And the teams that aren't, and this is why the Mets have to pay all this money, the Mets don't know how to do that. They've never done that. They don't do it with their own prospects. They can't do it with the guys that they sign, you know, off the waiver wire like every team does. So they can identify, like, a tool that is good. You know, if they sign a, a AAA reliever and they can look at how fast his fastball spins or, like, how much his sweeper sweeps, they can see that because there's numbers. And, they're, you know, you can look at it on all these sort of projections and get some sense of it. They just don't know what to do with it. Whereas the Rays have completely mastered the art of finding not just like players that are like that, because every team sort of knows how to find them at this point. They just know how to help them to their best advantage. The thing that's weird with the Rays is that they do that, and then they just let the guys leave because they don't like paying people. And so it's a really, like, I remember Andy McCullough wrote a really interesting story about this for The Athletic last year, where he talked to a bunch of Rays minor leaguers. And, they, you know, as a minor leaguer, the Rays are first class. Like, if you eat well in the clubhouse, they take good care of you. Like, there's always, like, trainers and coaches around helping you with stuff. It's just that, like, they know that as soon as they, you know, get to the part where they're going to start making seven figures in a season that the team isn't really going to be interested in anymore. And so they accept that part of the deal. And they're like, yeah, they're helping me get good. And then, like, I don't know, maybe I'll go play for the Red Sox later. All right, last one. kind of a weird way to be. No, it's a great way of doing business. You're doing so good here that we're just going to tell you to leave. You know, there it's a, a stepping stone job. We all know about those in the business. So, David, I've yeah. got to ask you, last one. In your bio on Twitter, it says that you're a turtle owner. Do you have more than one turtle or just the one? Well, I had two. Uh, one of them passed a couple years ago. Okay. But uh, the turtle that I have, this is what's weird about turtle ownership. I'm really happy you asked. <laughs> is that you, so say you're me, and you get them at the age of 23, and you're hungover, and you're on Canal Street in New York City's Chinatown, and you see a guy selling little turtles out of a bucket of drywall, which he literally was just one of those plastic drums. Uh, I paid $20 for two turtles, a case, and some food, like a little package. The thing that the guy did not tell me is the turtles live for like 50 years. 
so I am stuck with these guys. Like, so the turtle I have now is 22, um, and the one that passed died at the age of 20. So, like, basically the vet, when I brought this turtle in uh, for a, a little checkup, it's like, yeah, you're probably good for another 10 years at least. So this is a, a life pursuit now. I have this weird little creature that's, like, kind of disgusting. I have to wash my hands after I touch it because it's, like, covered in salmonella. And it doesn't know who I am and maybe hates me because it's got a brain the size of a pea. But, like, that is uh, that guy's going to be with me into my mid-50s, and there's nothing I can do about it. That is just great. I'm so glad. I brought this up because we have a PSA running now that's basically saying, hey, guys, spade and neuter your turtles because turtles are just out here making love and reproducing at an alarming rate. So as a turtle owner, I just wanted to know if, if that is something that you guys are aware of and the turtle pet you know, community that, hey, guys, don't let these guys mate. It's out of control. I did not know that. First of all, I didn't know that you could neuter a turtle. Uh, we got a whole PSA. We got a PSA going that's just, hey, guys, stop your turtles from getting it on. That is amazing. You guys really have got it figured out out there. I, like, I want to live in a community where I could turn on the radio at any given moment and, like, a respected voice that I know from the radio is like, we know that your turtles are having sex and you need to make it stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> David Ruff from Defector. Let everybody know what you got going on. This has been a blast. Thanks, and I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, like I said, something about the Mets and bad baseball teams going up tomorrow. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just Defector stuff. I talked to some coworkers about David Bowie's Scary Monsters. That chat will be up this week. It's a weird website. But, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, goofy things for me going up there this week. So. Uh, that's what happens when there's no sports but baseball to write about. You gotta, you gotta get weird. Let's get weird. Yes, and that was David Roth joining us here. Thanks, David. On, on, as, on unnecessary roughness. You want to get nuts? Let's, <laughs> Let's get, get nuts. <laughs> we'll close out the show. But before we do that, you can be calling number nine and win a chance. To win some Aviators baseball tickets, that'll be a four-pack of tickets. Call right now, call the number nine to qualify to win those tickets. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. All right. It is basically the grand opening, grand closing, because we are going to be wrapping up the show here with a little less than a minute to go. David Roth, man, that was fun, right? It always is. What a a fun guy. Uh, I want to get this text out from Robin Oakland real quick. The Argonauts are a group of Greek heroes led by Jason. They went on a quest for the gold fleece. I have to ask that question myself when Rocket Ishmael decided to play for the CFL in Toronto instead of playing in the NFL. We got him and his rock mitts eventually. The Tigers in Louisiana are the same place the Grizzlies are in, are in the Memphis Zoo. Shout out to the Memphis Zoo. I hate to say, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I'm expecting a disappointing win-loss record. I'm not sure about the current QB, but they, but they are pros, and I'm a fan. I hope I'm wrong. Strong show today, guys. That's from Robin Oakland. Thank you so much for the kind words. Got an answer for what Argonauts are? Thanks to all of our guests, David Roth, Mary Kay Cabot, oh my gosh, Emery Hunt. Who else am I forgetting? Dave Sherapin. And thank you to David and Jared. I'm Damon Cotton. Thank you for listening. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Did you just call me David?